Well, all right. Welcome back, everybody. We have finally made it to episode number mo freaking 10. And this is Geology on the Rocks. I'm your host, James the Geologist. And with me, I have... Brian Baggins. Hey, Mr. Brian Baggins. Hey, man. Hey, so... I don't know. Y'all can't see it, but we'll probably post a picture. But we're actually doing a, I'd say, a fairly good job. You're six feet away from me, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, I can't touch you with my fingers. So we're actually doing this one live. This time, I think, Brian, <laughs> I think we're going to have a lot more giggles because we yeah. can, like, look at each other in the eyes behind our, <laughs> behind, <laughs> behind our, uh, our, <laughs> see, we already started, <laughs> behind, behind our microphones. Today, we're actually going to talk about the Mesozoic, mysteries of the Mesozoic. I guess let's do it how we always do. Actually, we could do this at the beginning. So yeah. again, geology on the rocks. We're going to hear a live clink. Good one. So we're actually drinking our whiskey live today with each yeah. other. So how has your week been, Mr. Brian? Pretty quiet, to be honest. I I smoked a cigar while at work the other day and I got so sick. Like I haven't had that happen <laughs> since I was like 18, but I like was knocked out for like a day and a half. Oh, really? Yeah, it was it was not good. So really low level week for me. Oh, man. Yeah. No, so... I quit smoking two years ago, but like I'll, I still wear the, I still, I still wear the patch as like the security blanket. But so what I've done is, so I have like the, the two week plan, the 14 milligrams. And what I do is I cut them in half, but the other day, so kind of like you, I don't know, like we have similar weeks all the time. Yeah. So I, I had like a, I guess half a patch on, but I was sitting up here and and I was like doing my work and all of a sudden I just got like super sweaty and I got like yeah. really sick. I was like, oh God, I have coronavirus. <laughs> I was like, oh God, I don't feel like, why am I? I was like, Ugh. yeah, I think that's exact. Cause I was sitting there. I was like, oh, you know what? I feel really relaxed. And then it, it crept in. I was like, am I sweating? What's going on? <laughs> I, like, I need to find a bathroom. <laughs> Throw up. Yeah. That's crazy. So uh, how's the learning, the geochemistry stuff treating you? Oh yeah. So I'm having to look into cosmogenic isotopes now because someone has told the lead on this that they don't have high confidence in like a uranium thorium isotopic dating system because the stuff I'm looking at is placed into a limestone terrain. Mm -hmm. So it's not a closed system. And so you could have some of the dead carbonate get in there and you may be messing with ages that way. Makes sense. Hey, Brian, I'm just going to tell you something like your voice sounds even sexier on this uh, <laughs> microphone. You're just like so dreamy. So much better than I iPhone earbud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. So today's episode, we, Wait, how was your week? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, it was good. I just, I did a class led discussion with one of my, uh, classmates and we did it over neoliberalism. So yeah. I always like to kind of like make these parallels with earth, right? So, okay. Since, so, so neoliberalism is it's the, the free market where it's blah, blah, blah. So since the mid 1970s, right, the top 1%, they have amassed wealth of on the order of $21 trillion, right? I'm gonna let you sit the $21 trillion, the lower 50%, they have lost $800 billion, right? But so people, I think they don't really have this. I've, I, I told you this, we talked about it with Dale is people don't really have this idea of scales, right? Yeah. So if you take that $21 trillion and if you made $1 equivalent to one millimeter, right? That $21 trillion, right? Is now 21 trillion millimeters. That's enough to go around the earth at the equator 525 times. So now here's, now here's another thing. So now if you think of going around the earth once is one day, now we can get a time, right? Okay. If you were to Take it in time. So that's it's a it's a 1.43 years, right? So it's almost like a year and a half per second. <laughs> the top one percent, 
are making like $469,000 a second, the top 1%. If you were to scale it out that way. And the bottom 50% in that same amount of time, they are losing $18,000 a second. That's 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 yeah. nuts, right? So it's like these super rich have gotten like s- yeah. stupid, stupid rich, and you know the the bottom fifty percent uh, they are losing wealth. So, but anyways, that's this is a, a show about geology. <laughs> like it's so depressing, man. Yeah, I don't even know what to think anymore. Like doing this this education program because I'm just like, God dang it, everything everything's like inherently racist, and I'm just like, God, how can we be better? How can we be better? Everything's sexist. Okay. So that was my week. Uh, other than that, it yeah, just writing papers and staying busy, trying to keep up with my... If you, I have any students out there, I promise I haven't forgot about you. I'm still working on y'all stuff. So <laughs> shall we get started? Yeah. All right. So we're going to talk about the Mesozoic. And the Mesozoic is a time frame after the Paleozoic. And it's part of the Phanerozoic. Before that was the Precambrian time, right? So that's what about 88% of Earth uh, since the beginning was was Precambrian time. Then we had the, the Paleozoic, which is Cause D MPP, which is Cambrian, Ordovician, Silurian, Devonian, uh, Mississippian, Pennsylvanian, Permian. So and then at the end of the Permian, we had this one it was the great dying i think is what they call it so we're, we're going to get into that here in a second and then so what we figured how we were going to do this is that we were going to break it up we're going to talk about this uh the mass dying the great dying as this extinction event and then we're going to just kind of talk about the i had a brain fart <laughs> stumbling over my words so no i, I so then we're going to talk about the just kind of like the tectonics the 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 what the lay of the land was because this is at the time where pangea is starting to rift apart so it, we'll get into it then we're going to get into mineral minute which is a <laughs> another it's going to be a fun one and then we're going to talk about the the thing that i think everybody's excited about is we're going to talk about the the dinosaurs the good old dinosaurs and then we'll get into that freaking rocks so do you want to lead us off there brian yeah so um so yeah this is the we're talking extinctions right yeah 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 we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the great dying yeah yeah so the great death so you may know that it's it's called like the pt boundary which just means permian triassic and what you had is you had climate that wasn't too different than ours today before this all happened but something and they're with all of these types of things that happen like great catastrophic things that happen in earth there's always going to be different schools of thought on what caused that and some have more credibility than others but basically you had this point where it was like what 96 percent of all aquatic life died yeah at this this moment in time and i think what was the terrestrial was it like 70 something Uh, i think like 65 percent okay yeah so you have this mass extinction of like... Uh, oh, 70%. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, something like that. All this diversity had started happening in all these different organisms. And then, boom, it's just, you don't see any of that after that in the geologic record. There's several hypotheses, but I, I think like what you're saying is that there's been no real... Uh, like a, a unifying what happened. Because I think there's what they want to say, like, I, I want to say like I read somewhere where you had like this increased volcanism, then you had another asteroid or some kind of impact from outer yeah. space. But then you also had this, from my understanding and why my best description of it is like, you kind of had like this breakdown in circulation of the, like the thermohaline circulation in the, in the oceans kind of stopped. You had increased like CO2 and it became stratified. And then you had this release of methane and then you had this anoxic conditions. So yeah. I don't know what you were going to. No, I think, I think that's a good point to bring up. Like you def- you brought up impact and, volcanism and the two big ones that we talk about are the 
the PT boundary and then the KT, which is what we'll talk about here in a little bit. But both instances had impact by an asteroid or meteor or whatever. And then you had severely increased volcanism right after. And that's geologists and petrologists and even mineralogists have worked together with geophysicists to realize that when you have an impact, oftentimes like on the other side of the globe, you're going to have this great... This like glumness. <laughs> I told you, like whenever you stumble, yeah, it's gonna look yeah. at you. <laughs> I, I see you. Um, but yeah, so the the volcanic activity greatly increases. We're seeing that here with, like you said, the Siberian traps were a flood basalt range that they saw greatly increased after what they thought an impact had caused this. So I think when I think of these extinction events, it's hard for me to say it's all just oh, it has to be just this one thing. But it's also just very strange that they would all happen at the right time to have this much of a detrimental effect on Earth, and they obviously did. So yeah, it's, uh, no, I get it's a you. little freaky. I liked, I liked what you said before, though, about the methane stuff to what it, like, the picture you painted in my head before we started recording, it was this, like, almost like if you had cyanide. <laughs> no, yeah, so uh, so when you had these anoxic conditions, right, so, like, you're, you're having, like, these things die, the bacteria, they're using up all the oxygen, so it becomes anoxic. And then a byproduct of, of these organisms is that they're going to release what what they think at the time these organisms in the ocean after you know they used up all the oxygen it killed off 96 percent of all the, the marine organisms but their byproduct was kind of like this this gas that was almost akin to cyanide so we know cyanide is a very poisonous gas it's being released up into the atmosphere it rains down on the terrestrial animals and you had a great dying too so i i think over here it says that it's this, i think it's like one of the only times that you see this mass extinction of insects. So you had yeah. roughly, I think they say 33% of insects on land also became extinct. So you had just this massive amount of organisms dying off. So it was the biggest on record, right? Yes. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got to change through our notes. <laughs> yeah, I think so. That's what started the Mesozoic. We then saw different forms of life. The ones that carried over, it wasn't that, oh, all of that that type of organism made it through. I mean, all all life suffered during this time, and some got ahead because some predators died, so some other predators may have been able to just barely make it through, and then over the next million or so years, they've now developed their own diversity. And I think that's kind of the key is extinction will happens like after you've had so much diversity in your animal lineages, and then it, it just cuts it all off. And so it's like a reset yeah, in my head, anyway. a big reset. But I think when we get into it too, what's cool though too is that we can still see in the DNA like where those happen. So like we'll get into birds in a little bit. I'll, we'll talk about kind of how we can still see dinosaurs earlier pteropods. Like they're where... Anyway, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I'll try and get into it later. So like, yeah, so that was the, so at that point is kind of where they, de- where, the, where the the line of demarcation, if you will. So between the Permian and the Triassic, the, the Mesozoic is going, so we went from the Paleozoic into the Mesozoic. Now it, it consists of three periods, which is the Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous. So this, the Triassic is going to be from about 251 million years ago to about 200 million years. And then from 200 million years to 100 
246 million years ago is going to be the the Jurassic period. And then from 146 to 66, so there's uh, an 80 million year span that is going to be the Cretaceous. So the Cretaceous is the longest period in all of the Mesozoic era, which is part of the Phanerozoic eon. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Oix. Oix. Zoix. Yeah, yeah. So Mesozoic, middle life. So what, okay, so do you remember where the Jurassic gets its name from? No. You don't? No. Okay, so I remember this This is like one of the, I know you always, uh, you don't always, but when you have, when we've talked about this before and we've talked about uh, talk, sitting in uh, Nestel's class, <laughs> right? So for paleontology, so the, the Jurassic is actually named or it gets its name is from the Jura Mountains in Switzerland. Do you remember that now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of, yeah, yeah. So like, so before, like a lot of these names, they came before we um, really had numerical dates. So when you, they would look in the fossil record and you would have fossil assemblages and the scientists studying at the time in the Jura Mountains would always, I mean, he could see like, oh, okay, before this, there was none of this whatever fossil and then we do see it and we see it with these certain other fossils so they became to known as uh they were jurassic in age right so then they since it came from the jura mountains and that's kind of how some of the other names got their names as well uh cretaceous is that isn't that like chalk something yeah I think that's actually what it means. Yeah, it's something like that. Because of all, like, the... Because of the inundation of the seas. Yeah. So much of that, like... A lot of limestones. Like, yeah, like, continental shelf limestones and stuff out there. That's that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, I'm going to... I guess we'll just... Um, I'll do some quick hits over the, uh, the Mesozoic. So, during the Mesozoic is this... Like we said earlier, so I know we've talked about Pangaea, but this is where we start getting the rifting apart of Pangaea. So, it, this is going to profoundly affected the geological and biological events. And during the Triassic, so all of North, most of North America was above sea level. Yeah, so I mean, that's going to play a part towards when we, we get to the, the end of the, or just during the Cretaceous. So during the Jurassic period, we first see a seaway that flooded the interior of Western North America. Yeah, and a global rise in the sea level during the Cretaceous resulted in the Great Western Seaway. And that extended from the Gulf of Mexico to the Arctic Ocean, divided North America into two large land masses. Yeah, so then the Western North America was affected by four interrelated orogenies that took place along an oceanic continental plate boundary. So the the orogenies or an orogenic event is just this uh, mountain building event that occurred. Terrain accretion, we talked about that before in a previous episode, but that played a major role in the Mesozoic geologic history. And then, yeah, then some of the, the, the kind of the, I guess, economic resources, if you will, of the Mesozoic are going to include coal, petroleum, uranium, gold, and copper deposits. So these were some mineral resources of that time. What I wanted to start with was basically is the the breakup of Pangaea. So we see this in the rock record. So we as geologists, we have like this really good record of the history of Pangaea's breakup. We see this in the magnetic anomalies. So when we think of magnetic anomalies, and I know we've talked about it before, but it's where we see the the, the reversals of the, the plus and minus. So where the, at some point in time, I think what when was the last one, like 600, 700,000 years ago, but you have these like occurrences, like we know that they happen in this alternating path, but sometimes the, the South Pole is the North Pole. Yeah. And then then how it is normally now where the North Pole is the North Pole, right? The magnetic North, not really yeah. geographic North. Yeah, they measure that like magnetite crystals, basalts will like at the time you can see them per they 
prefer that magnetic north, right? Yeah. So when you have that Curie point, uh, yeah. I think that's what it's called. So they get they get heated up, and then when they cool, they become or they get heated up at the Curie point, they become magnetized, and then they have magmometers. That's <laughs> such a weird <laughs> ma- magmometer. I don't like how it's magma. <laughs> magmometer. I don't. Know. There's something about that word that bothers me. But yeah. So we digress. Okay. So we can see in the rock record that the the direction of the movement as well of the various continents during the Mesozoic and and, and the Cenozoic are. So I think the further we get back, the, the deformation gets kind of like too difficult. So it's kind of like the peering back, we can go to a certain point we can predict. So I think like what the one before the major supercontinent before Pangaea was Rodinia, something before that. But when Pangaea began to break up, it split the supercontinent into two large land masses. When it did, we it, it broke apart and you had Gondwana in the southern part. If you were to break it up into halves like north and south and then this, the northern part, it created Laurasia. This created what we know as North America, Europe, and Asia. Um, At the end of the Triassic, newly formed and expanding Atlantic Ocean separated North America from Africa. And sometime during the late Triassic to early Jurassic, Jurassic, uh, North America rifted apart from South America. Um, The separation allowed water from the Tethys Sea to flow into the expanding central Atlantic Ocean, and that's where the Pacific Ocean waters flowed into the newly formed Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, yeah. So, like, during that time, like, these areas... So, what what we need to keep in mind is when we're thinking about this is that, that these areas, they were located in the low tropical latitude. So, North America, South America, Africa, even Europe to a certain point in parts of Asia, we're all near the equator. So, it's just like this land mass that we're all kind of at the equator. So, it's just this where it's going to be high temperatures and we're going to see this really high rates of evaporation too. So um, this is where during those times where we get a lot of these evaporite deposits. Yeah, like those thick sands or salts like yeah. in the Jurassic period. Yeah, you bet. So initial breakup of Gondwana took place during the late Triassic and Jurassic periods. Uh, Antarctica and Australia, they remained sutured together. Mm-hmm. Um, they began separating from South America and Africa. India also began rifting from the Gondwana continent and it started moving north. South America and Africa began rifting apart during the Jurassic, and that separation of these two continents formed a narrow basin where, again, thick evaporite deposits accumulated from evaporation. Yeah, so what's really cool is also, uh, I know in for my thesis, it's, you can see kind of like all of this happen in the oceanic basins of, because I did my my thesis, I did a geophysical interpretation of the, oh no, I forgot. <laughs> no, no, so it was, it was a... Um, <laughs> I thought it was oil and gas. No, it was. No, but it's, so the Southern Carnarvon Basin in, in uh, Western Australia, right? So, but it's, but it's, it's at the, kind of at the margin, but you do see the, uh, where it splits up. So I, when I'm, talking about this in my in my thesis too like there's actually in the rock record you can see this too which is which is pretty cool like that they all of this is happening but it's it it's kind of hard to i know just even us talking about it it's going to be different or difficult to kind of comprehend that all these all these continents they were together and they're not so when we think when we say australia it's not where australia is today it's it's where it was what we said 165 yeah. million <laughs> years ago so and it's all together so what where are we at what are we talking about <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I got you. I got you. So like, yeah, during this time, again, so the the eastern end of the Tethys Sea began closing as a result in a clockwise rotation of Laurasia and the northward movement of Africa. So this this narrow late Jurassic and Cretaceous Seaway between Africa and Europe was the forerunner of the present Mediterranean Sea. So at this time, like so towards the Cretaceous in the Jurassic into the Cretaceous, we're starting to see kind of the current day configurations. So we've gone from at the beginning, this one landmass of Pangaea, it breaks apart in the Triassic. And then as we move, they're kind of like splitting apart. And then by the Cretaceous, we're really seeing it it's set up towards the end of it to where we're at now. Yeah, at the end of the Cretaceous, Australia and Antarctica, they had fully detached from each other. India had moved into the lower southern latitudes and was basically to the equator. South America, South America and Africa were now widely separated. Greenland was basically an independent landmass with a little shallow sea between it and North America and Europe. Yeah, so like also during this time, so we we saw this global rise in sea level during the Cretaceous, which is going to result in a worldwide transgression. These transgressions, these are going to be where you have these... uh, sea level rise and then you have this uh word i'm looking for i i just said sea level rise but we're going to see the flooding of the the continent so when we have a regression you have like low stand like i think of it in 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 terms of like high stand low stand yeah so like transgression you have overall sea level rise and it's going to progress inwards inland i guess you would yeah and you can see that when we we talk a lot about this in sedimentology so you would see that if you have a transgressive sequence you would start to see more carbonate rocks more carbonate rich like you'd go from maybe shales to limestones you always have then the opposite of that when a transgressive sequence has basically come to its apex then it'll you'll start to see a regressive sequence and so you'll go back and you'll have then the shaley limestones back to shales and then that's where you'll have like your sandstones so you you can okay. mark all these so so are you because i always thought like it went shale limestone sandstone so it goes limestone shale sand yeah because i because i thought like the the shale is due to that that super low energy environment then you have like the reef which is the limestone and then you have the sandstone well some of the like the limestones can be i know what you're talking about you're talking about like the abyssal fissile yeah shale that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking more of like a just like this mud coming in from right, the exactly like a sediment plume that comes out and okay s- i got you what you're saying continental shelf and that's so then you're right like after that then you'd have a reef building yeah situation. on that okay um but after that then like you would have more if say you're then getting into a regression then you'd have more of the sediment plume come out more flooding and then sand as you Right. Well, well now that I'm thinking about it, it's making a lot more sense because when you have that, because uh, if once the shelf, you have that shelf break, and then you have the the slope, and then that's kind of like a like a <laughs> a cliff. So yeah, no, I, I okay, yeah, we're tracking now. Yeah, so it's gonna go limestone, shale, sand. I got you. Yep. Yep. Okay. I I love it when, because like in my head, like again, like I think of shale being deposited when we've talked about that in low energy environments, but I know what you're saying. Like whenever it's the, in this point, it's just like, yeah, it's going to be the, uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Words. (laughs) So yeah. So like also during this time, so why we're seeing this is like, uh, we have this high heat flow and rapid expansion of the oceanic ridges were responsible for these transgressions in the first place. So we know that 
when we've talked about oceanic ridges. So again, we got to think that at the time, like, so we have this, um, so prior to when you had the, when, when you think of Pangea, if you will, Pangea was this la- landmass. And then most of the earth was this one big, it was the Patha, Patha was it Panthalassa ocean or is it, no, is it Tethys? No, Tethys, Tethys was that was little, a, yeah, so the Panthalassa was, was, you could basically think of it as the Pacific ocean. Once they start splitting apart, you're getting the Atlantic ocean being formed at this point. So, so you're having this divergent plate boundary. Yeah. So you're, you're having this, we're creating new oceanic basin. So it's this high heat flow. Yeah. So the middle Cretaceous sea level was probably as high at any time since the Ordovician in the Paleozoic and about one third of the present land area was inundated by the Epiaric Sea, which is just these shallow uh, seas. Yeah. The final stage in the breakup closer to where we have today is in the Cenozoic. And during this time, Australia continued to move northward. Greenland's definitely just out there by itself <laughs> in between Europe and North America and has formed a complete separate landmass at that time. Yeah, by towards the, the the Cenozoic is really where we'll start to set up and maybe we're, we're going to have to do an episode on all this. But I feel like in all of this too is there are so many different things that we could have talked about during this. Like we could have just talked about these, we could have just talked about the Triassic and how nutty the Triassic was. I think there was a minor little uh, extinction event between the Triassic and the Jurassic that really, what we'll get into in a minute, really gave rise to the the, the dinosaurs taking over as the 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 predominant kind of um, uh, thing. So again, so the breakup of Pangaea really is where we see influence the global climatic and atmospheric circulation patterns of the time. So although the temperature gradient too from the tropic to the poles gradually increased during the Mesozoic, overall that the temperatures were they're going to remain equable, if you will. And an increased rate in seafloor spreading during the Cretaceous caused that sea level rise and these transgressions that we talked about to occur. Yeah, so I think, and then also, so except for these few incursions along the continental margins, the the two marine transgressions as seen in the Sundance Sea and the Cretaceous Interior Seaway, North America, Craton, so we've talked about that too, Craton just being like the, uh, the continental crust, if you will, was above sea level most of the time during the Mesozoic. And the eastern coastal plain was the initial site of that separation of, the, of North America from Africa, which was in the late Triassic during the Cretaceous. It was inundated by several marine transgressions. The Gulf Coastal region was the site of major evaporite depositions during the Jurassic as North America rifted from South America. So by this time, so again, that that it, it, it spanned from all the way from the equator all the way up to the, the Arctic. So, I mean, it was this whole, you can think of North America now, that it spanned from Mexico all the way up to the North Pole, yeah. basically. I mean, where we are sitting right now, we are right in the middle of it. Yeah, and, and it, it explains why we have so much limestone here in, in North Texas. You got squids all over the place. All over the place. The the Mesozoic rocks of the Western uh, region were deposited in a v- variety of continental and marine environments. So we do get this a lot of sedimentation. So one of the major controls of sediment distribution patterns was this tectonicism. <laughs> uh, Western North America was affected by four interrelated orogenies, the Sonoma, the Novaden, Severe, and the Laramide. And they all involved igneous intrusion as well as an eastward thrust and faulting and folding. Yeah, so we talked about that one the last time. So the Novaden kind of, that's where we got the Sierra Nevadas. We talked about that. But so the the Sonoma, 
Sonoma orogeny, just briefly talking, so was the result of the subduction of an oceanic plate beneath an island arc system. And then the, the subsequent thrusting of the oceanic and island arc rocks eastward against the southwestern cratonic margins of North America. So we're going to, this is where we start seeing kind of like North America being built upon. Yeah, and the cause of the Nevada and Severe and the Laramide orogenies was a changing of angle of subduction of the oceanic Farallon plate beneath the North American craton. So timing, rate, and to some degree, the direction of the plate movement were all related to sea force before spreading and the opening of that Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, so I think, so it... It was at first steep, but then it kind of like is was a it started shallowing out, and then it, it led to the it spreading apart in the middle. But anyways, we'll we're, we'll get into that when we talk about the the basin and range province and all of that fun stuff. So although the the structural features of North America western margin are associated with its activity along an oceanic continental convergent plate boundary, a lot of geologists they think that more than twenty five percent of the western margin originated from the accretion of these terrains. We said before, but really important mineral resources uh, for the Mesozoic rocks, coal, petroleum, uranium, gold, and copper. Yeah, so like uh, when we do see a lot of this stuff too, it's kind of, we know that with it, especially with like the uranium, gold, and copper, those are coming from like hydrothermal and kind of environments. And then we also see like the coal, petroleum during this time. So also if when we think of, uh, uh, when we talked about all these seas and shallow warm seas, this is what's prime time for making petroleum. Like we can think of... Um, the, the Permian Basin, but it's it's all those reefs that built up on top of it yeah. during this time, right? And the Cretaceous died. Yeah, you know, mm. fueling our cars. Mm. <laughs> so the great death. The great death. All right. So hopefully that was just a little bit of getting into setting the picture in your head. I uh, I know to us. I mean, I mean, I know we've already been talking for like thirty minutes, but <laughs> I mean, like it's it, there's so much that we could talk about. Like again, it's so yeah. hard to kind of like put our blinders on because we want to talk about everything. But before we talk about anything more, I think it this is a, an important part. Mineral. <laughs> Mineral minutes. Mineral. Mineral. Mineral minutes. Minerals. I don't think I'll ever get old. All right. So today's mineral minute is brought to you by the beryllium <laughs> aluminum tectosilicate tugdebite. And its chemical formula is NA4ALBESI4O12B. CL. Yeah, so this one's cool in that it has sodium and chlorine in its structure, and it's a member of the silica-deficient feldspathoid mineral group, which is going to occur in high-alkali, low-quartz, intrusive igneous rocks. And I want to say that this one's part of the Helvine group, which is a group of metal-2 beryllium sulfide silicates (laughs) that generally have a formula of (laughs) BE3 M4SiO4 Shop right three, <laughs> where the M equals a divalent iron, manganese, or zinc. Yep, tugdepite has one of the beryllium uh, ions replaced by an aluminum, and one of its beryllium replaced by silica. Yeah, so this one it was named after its discovery locality, which is Tuktup. Octocorphia Narsak Municipality of Greenland. It's commonly red, also white to pink, bluish white, or greenish white. Its luster is subvitreous or glassy, waxy, greasy, or dull and translucent. Tugdepite has a hardness of four on the Mohs hardness scale. You make me a 10. <laughs> 
Its specific gravity is 2.33. It streaks white and has tenacity. It's described as brittle. The cleavage of tug to pite is distinct, good on the 101 plane, and on the 110 plane is considered fair. It usually shows cleavage because of the significant number of planes associated with the cleavage. Optical data of tug to pite shows that it is a uniaxial mineral and displays weak pleochrism. Its crystal system is tetragonal and its morphology is short tetragonal <laughs> prisms with pyramids, phenoids, and bisphenoids. Fine-grained aggregates are massive. So, fun fact, the name is derived from the Greenlandic Inuit word for reindeer, which is tutu, which translates to reindeer blood. Did you know that on the 101 face, penetration twinning results in a pseudocubic in pseudocubic triplets, which is pseudo pseudotrigonal contact twins with compositional planes 101 minus and 011 minus? Yeah, I did, Brian. I wrote it. <laughs> So lastly, this mineral is tenebrescent, sharing much of its crystal structure with sodalite, and the two minerals are occasionally found together in the same sample. So we know we know sodalite. Yeah, another feldspathoid. Yeah. Uh, tune in for next week's <laughs> sponsor, Come Dickalite. And this was brought to you by another mineral minute. Mineral minutes. Mineral. Mineral. Mineral minutes. Mm. Minerals. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, God. It's so good. Okay, so yeah, so that was Mineral Minute. So next week's mineral is Come Dixalite. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I can't wait for next week. I don't. Okay. So, all right. So, dinosaurs. So, this is what we're really here to talk about. I guess we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of dinosaurs. What we see moving from the the Paleozoic into the Mesozoic is really this big diversification of reptiles. The reptiles coming out of that, you'll hear them referred to as archosaurs, and arco just meaning ruling, and soros meaning lizard. And this is to include diverse animals such as crocodiles, pterosaurs, which are the flying reptiles, dinosaurs, birds, and several other extinct groups. Did you know, James, that pterosaurs, like pterodactyls, are not dinosaurs? No, they're they're flying reptiles. Flying reptiles. Yeah, like yeah, like the pterodactyl. You're like, oh, well, those are flying lizards. <laughs> or no, I see I've contention might know they're they're dinosaurs that fly. I know. No, like everything you've been told is a lie. It's a lie. It's, it's like- a lie. I think shared characteristics, but most notably is uh, that they all have, like, I like to think of them as them having these teeth that are set into individual sockets. What we see, so I know you heard us talk about birds and you're like, wait a minute, James, the geologist, birds don't have teeth in their sockets. Well, they do. Well, they don't, but they do have this uh, gene that they can kind of edit. So they have like these kind of, you think, okay, you know, sometimes you'll hear stories of like humans being born with a tail, right? We don't have tails anymore, but sometimes somewhere in our our DNA, like there is at a point like that's gene edited now that says, hey, turn this off or like get rid of it. But you can go back and edit these things. So you can make these. I think there was some researcher that made chickens have teeth. <laughs> Did you imagine? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. But so like the same thing is what we'll talk about. We'll see in a minute is the the birds and the architerix. What is it? Is that what it is? Yeah, that that. Yeah. So between like a velociraptor having the 
that that claw, right? Yeah. But then the Arcteryx, like it's they kind of have that long middle finger. But then in birds, it's what happens is whenever they're in the embryonic stage, is like those there's two bones that fuse together, so it it makes it, and then it gets into that into oh, a wing. Okay. So no longer do they don't have those claws. But what I think scientists what they're trying to do is kind of go back and see which gene turns it on and off so then maybe they could recreate it instead of because i know that they've been trying to find dna of fossils of the dinosaurs to kind of like oh well let's kind of like gene splice these in but you know i mean like i don't think dna is well preserved in in the fossil i couldn't imagine but i also want to know why do they want to do this i mean we have film evidence that this will not go well (laughs) yeah jurassic park (laughs) no so like uh so whenever they did this so um whenever they were trying to find blood to do this right so like in i think in jurassic park when we have this idea of like oh we're gonna do this right so you drill into ancient tree sap and go into like a blood-sucking mosquito Right. And try and extract that DNA. Right. So I think what you would find from that is if you were to splice that, you would just make a mosquito. Right. Or you would make a tree. Like, I, so uh, the thing is, is like, so then they've found some really good bones of dinosaurs. And I think that like the most that they've been able to extract from it is actually blood vessels. So what they'll do is they I think they found like a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but I think they called it a B-Rex. It wasn't a T-Rex, but they were able to get an age from it. They were able to get that it was female because the there was some kind of protein that was made and they could see it in the bone structure. And then it was further evidence that birds or dinosaurs, because they kind of share these common traits. Yeah. But so what they did is they, they they found all this, but they couldn't find any DNA. But so they took this uh, they took this fossil, put it in acid. But what was left it was the the blood vessels, and they found like actually um, other I think cytokinins or something. It, but they found proteins as well that were preserved, and they could see this. So I mean that's freaking awesome. Yeah. Like you know like dinosaurs. I don't know. I always thought like paleontologists and biologists were like stamp collectors, but <laughs> they do they like. They make me feel like I don't do science. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's that's amazing. I know. I sit there and do, wow. Yeah, but I, I, a lot of it too. Like, do you remember from paleontology the what was it? Cope and Marsh was it? I want to say like the two paleontologists. They were like fought over naming, and there was like this big feud. It kind of really gave paleontology this really bad oh, name. Yeah, the lumper splitter thing was that was it that thing? Uh, no, I mean it was it was these these two paleontologists, but they they were I think they called it the Bone Wars, and oh. they uh, so they they fought back and forth. They would pay people to like sabotage other people's dig sites and then what they would do at the end of it they would and so they so they wouldn't have like the other one come and take their stuff it's like they would legit dynamite their own dig sites when they were done with it so the other person couldn't come in afterwards but it would be oh i know (laughs) but like so they gave um painting charles like this really bad name so a, a fun fact about that too or i guess like a kind of like a story like one of them became the head of the the geologic survey Mm. like he became the front of it and then what happened is like he made this uh, rule that if you didn't finance it yourself that dinosaur bones they actually they would come and take them and they would belong to the smithsonian institute thinking that he was going to screw over like uh <laughs> this cope guy right yeah. so then um but the the guy kept meticulous records and it's like nope i financed this myself well then uh something happened to where the the guy at the you uh the 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 guy at the geological survey dude kind of did something and they kind of forced him to resign because they it came out like this kind of feud that they were having. Yeah. But then based on that rule that he wrote, 
most of his collection was actually like <laughs> so he seized <laughs> yeah because he didn't keep as good as records <laughs> but i mean it was kind of a a, a real um i don't know like I, I i don't think i've ever heard of that in like the scientific community like this it was really bad so if any, i think it was <laughs> yeah. cope and marsh if y'all look okay. it up the uh so but they actually be a good movie yeah no so yeah oh yeah let's uh, yeah yeah it, it'd be imagine us like so like we're buddies right now right but we're gonna go out and start looking for dinosaur fossils <laughs> i i named my first one like brian something something you name yours after me since we're like but then we get into this huge feud and like we in journals, academic journals, we're just like, oh, that Brian, he doesn't know shh. He doesn't know. Yeah, so one of them, like, I think he put the head of a dinosaur at the tail and said, oh, look, we found this new dinosaur that was a snake-like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, you can see how it easily yeah. could have, like, started getting this bad name. Oh, my God. Awesome. But, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We're just, we're just bullshitting we're just, right yeah, now. Yeah, we are. No, yeah. I, so, I, I think that's fascinating that you're talking about, like, I think we were talking about diversity. Yeah. Um, in, like what archosaurs were and where dinosaurs fit in that. So you had this explosion of diversity, like we talked about before, after an extinction event, that kind of somewhat resets things. And then all organisms get another chance to diversify. And so you had dinosaurs were part of that, the archosaurs, and there was a, I guess a divide, right? Yeah. A divergence, I think is the correct term for that. And they split off and, you know, crocodiles, crocodilians did too. So did pterosaurs, but even beyond that, you brought up the tooth uh, having in like the sockets. Yeah. One of the things that we were able to further diversify or explain the diversity of dinosaurs were their hip bone structure. And I'm going to screw these names up, so please correct me, James. Saurischians and Ornithischians. I, that's, I mean, I say Saurischian, but I mean like <laughs> sure, Saurischian or the Ornithischia. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, no, yeah. So uh, the Saurischians are lizard-hipped. That's what that, I think that's actually what it means. And it's the pubic bone points forwards, forward like it does in reptiles. So it'll point towards the, the front of the animal. And it includes the clades, they're herbivores that were called sauropods. So those these are the enormous dinosaurs, like your Brachiosaurus, Brontosaurus, which I think is not a real... The no, they no, but so, but like, so that was one of the, that's was why, really? that's why, yeah. So there was something, I think it was coat, but anyways, there was enough because I think it was the, uh, Alo, the Apatosaurus, yeah. Ab, uh, Apatosaurus or however it's called, but that used to be like, uh, the Brontosaurus, but I think there's enough difference between them now that Brontosaurus actually came like they they gave Brontosaurus its name again. Okay. Wow. Hooray. That was always like, I remember land before time. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you had that. Those are your like really nice, like enormous. I just call them big cow dinosaurs because they <laughs> yeah. just ate plants and just sat or like stood there because they their brains were very small. Definitely like pea brain type things. They just, they were herd animals. The cool, di or what I think are the cool dinosaurs were the theropods, and that means beast-footed. And these were your T-Rex, your Dionychus, your Velociraptors, and Spinosaurus, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we have one over here. But those were all part of the clade of the Saurischians. The other side of that was the Ornithischians, and they were what you call bird-hipped. And so that's, the pubic bone is a little more elaborate, and it points towards the tail. These dinosaurs included, like, your Triceratops, Stegosaurus, Ankylosaurus. They were also herbivores, but heavily armored. 
bird. Like, you know, your Triceratops is like a freaking reptile yeah. rhino or something. But they, just like when you had the diversity happening early on in their evolutionary history, they shifted from being bipedal to quadrupedal at least three times in their history. So all these animals are trying to find a way to survive, to make it to where they, you know, like you said, turning genes on and off to see which, how to be successful. Yeah, but it's like... But I mean, like, I think that's it's pretty easy to think of it like that. It's like not yeah, like our yeah. genes, like, OK, turn up. I think today. I, yeah. You know. No, because so, like I, th- I think I wrote it earlier is that. Yeah. So well, you were saying like, so the dinosaurs, they evolved during the late Triassic. But it's important to point out that they were there was no really single first dinosaur, because when we think of I know when we say that, oh, they're turning their genes on and off and they've they've changed over time, that the populations evolve, not individual. Yeah. I guess the mutation would happen, uh, I guess, on an individual, but then they would have to pass that on and then it's this kind of like overall evolution of it so i mean it's just i feel like that's important to keep in mind it's not like oh one day it's just like one of them were like hey i'm changing yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, like i remember there was a botanist that was talking to me about a plant and they're like oh yeah you know and it just chose to it really wanted to be like this this color because of this reason i'm like it didn't think that. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I think that's what the word is called, anthropomorphizing it. Yeah, They're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. given it human qualities, I think, therefore I am. Yeah, <laughs> it's something that, you know, could take a million years for this for these things to happen. So, yeah, it's it's not like, hey, like in the moment where it's it's learning to adapt that then you those adaptations come enough to where you have to actually evolve to survive. Yeah, and then uh, and, and we talked about it and maybe you get into a little bit further, but I know that for some for some paleontologists, like it was thought for a long time that each order really evolved, um, I guess, independent during the late Triassic. But now it's it's kind of clear that they had a common ancestor, much like the archosaurs from the middle Triassic rock. Like I, we were we were having this discussion kind of before we talked, like birds today yeah that they're they're part of the the they're they're sort of sisha they're part of the pteropod suborder but right so if, if you remember if you paid attention from the beginning they have the the lizard hips but they don't they the they're part so the the sorcitians they have the lizard hips right but birds have bird hips but the ornithicians are the ones with the bird hips but they're <laughs> if we, if you go back yeah. down the evolutionary tree the the birds with the bird hips are part of the pteropods that are the lizard hips yeah it's like why yeah why is it like this and i think that just as like organisms evolve and they or they adapt and have different traits our understanding of that will change and there's a couple of explanations for why i think one is like convergent evolution of the ornithicians are the cause of that bird light hips hip structure not a shared ancestry yeah so just because you have you don't have to come from something to develop this yeah um that's important to note like you see that in other like mollusks as well like you're you they all develop tests, but they're not all the same. So um, yeah, they can evolve similarly, but it doesn't have to be because they had a shared ancestor. But I think that what they're discovering now is it's much more complicated than just separating these two. One thing that I thought was cool that I, I found was they actually have decided to bring up another clade. <laughs> so you have your original one, which is like your dinosauria, and then you split off from your Sauricia and Ornithischia. Yep. And the, once again, in Sauricia, you have your theropods and your sauropods. But what, what they're saying now, scientists and paleontologists are saying that because of like where birds fit in, 
and what they're seeing in other traits that these animals had that were similar, they've now created another another node on the on the tree, like the family tree. And so now you have your your dinosaur and then you have your sauropods, but then you have a new one called Ornothcelida, which has the Ornithischia and theropods in it, which helps a lot with placing birds where they are. Yeah. Now we, it's almost indisputable that they have come from dinosaurs. No. They are actually dinosaurs. No, yeah. So, like, I always like to say... I mean, it, I mean, like there's, it's pretty irrefutable at this point, but I like to say that all birds are dinosaurs, but not all dinosaurs are birds. Mm. But so what we see in birds, so what, how, if you think just for a second, these, the sour, the sauropods, right? These huge, massive, the, 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 you know, the, the, the ginormous ones that you think of, right? They're, so they're, they're, they're massive, right? You just think like, man, how the hell did they get that big? There's nothing that big today. Like, right. I think like the, the largest mammal, but we'd see but like is the whale but they're not they're not constricted to they're in water so it's a little bit different but like they're 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 i think way bigger than these things but if you think of these huge sauropods they're five stories tall like they're they're (laughs) these massive things but so like how like how could you explain like why did they grow that big like what's the advantage of that right so is it that they can eat at the top the i think one huge difference between like mammals like why mammals never got that big versus them is that they don't have we give birth they don't have to gestate their babies inside of them right so if you think of elephants they're pretty big but they're not nearly as big as these elephants they 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 have their babies inside of them for up to two years these things they laid eggs like all these all the dinosaurs they were they laid eggs they made nests and they laid their eggs right so that's that's one thing that they didn't have to do this but um another thing that they can see in birds so if we use birds as an analog since they are dinosaurs they have these air sacs in them right so this is in the, these different cavities that they have these air sacs but they also had these air sacs inside their uh, their bone structures too so they can see mm-hmm. based on bird bones that where they do have these kind of but it, it's it supports their 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 the of their how huge these things were there without crushing them right so they had like uh, yeah. that so that in the bone structure you you have these air sacs as well so that's uh, another reason why they got so big but yeah them these things they're freaking huge <laughs> so uh let's see a few of the cool dinosaurs that i think the 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 Cynoceroteryx is about a one meter long theropod genus from the lower cretaceous rock in china and was the first dinosaur with evidence of feathers so it's uh, preserved structures called the melasinomes that partly control feather color in birds today indicate that this animal was reddish brown with stripes on its tail. So there's a, wow. a lot of cool things that we can start to um, reimagine because I know before that there was when I was a kid, we'd watch these like videos where like how I mean, I, I think the assumption I think you brought it up earlier, like these dinosaurs, they were like, oh, these big, dumb creatures are like, huh. yeah, right. <laughs> where it's like if you were to like dynamite a, a dinosaur's tail at time, it's like, oh, it would take like 14 seconds for it to even realize that like you like blew it up i think there's some research that have been done that they're they're actually these very like communal animals like they're very what's the word i'm looking for so they 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 communicated so there's there's evidence of this that in these communities where there there's communication like uh, between there's clear differences between like juveniles and adults so they can tell like oh these are the kids
kids and then these are the adults. So you see those, you see this in um, communities that are, that, that communicate amongst everything. I don't know if you had that in your notes. No. Okay. Yeah, that, was, that was new to me. Okay. Well, that's cool. But I think, yeah, they've, they've definitely have like would, were able to see like patterns that would develop not only from the hunters. So like, I think a lot of like more popular research has been shown on like the hunters had, like you said, like a hierarchy even in their their community community structure but it's what the herding the herding animals also did another fun fact so a lot of research has been done to say that dinosaurs were warm-blooded oh i've I've, yeah Yeah. that's all in here too yeah and that was something that like once again we thought okay well all reptiles if these were reptiles they had to be cold-blooded that's that was another thing we were talking about crocodiles they survived the kt or kpg extinction where the dinosaurs didn't and there are many other reasons but crocodiles can hibernate for long periods of time they can burrow so they may have been out of immediate violent episodes of the earth at that time so it's it's cool to me because crocodiles didn't but yeah so like so crocodiles they were able due to that they were able to hibernate and they because of their amphibious nature they would live on and off land and in freshwater they weren't as impacted as the dinosaurs were so they they made it through and they didn't really change in their later forms during the cretaceous they haven't really changed that much no no so and then um i think also too that the the meat-eating dinosaurs that they there's some i want to say research that has been done that they've actually some of them actually survived like so rather than like the tyrannosaurus just imagine the tyrannosaurus rex the t-rex right after that extinction event like they could have evolved since they were meat eating, they weren't, if they weren't dependent on like, um, they could eat other animals for their, their resources. So I think there's evidence to suggest that they actually like grew to be smaller. Not all of them went extinct. They just kind of, they went smaller and smaller. And then until you get to the, the birds, birds, the birds. So what are some cool other, so we talked about during the, the, the time too, we had what the flying reptiles, we had marine reptiles too. They're not so much the, the dinosaurs, but like the, the ichthyosaurs, right those huge massive underwater yeah uh creatures right so the they're pretty ferocious type things uh the plesiosaur that was a yeah. a marine reptile then you had like the mosasaurs yeah stuff like that we're just we're just looking so crocodiles turtles lizards and snakes all um amphibious came around about that time fun fact Uh, if you live in dfw go to the north sulfur river like just east of dallas and you can find mosasaur teeth oh really yeah so you you should go check oh dude i want to check that out like now yeah (laughs) yeah so then also what's fun too is that our common ancestor the what the conodonts what is it the the therapsids and the 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 synodonts like that's kind of where we were just waiting in the ashes or in, in the in the shadows if you will like the during this time too so like i also think like um the 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 environment too was kind of adapted for the 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 argosaurs and the dinosaurs of that time because if you remember the global climate it was a lot arid and i think that the argosaurs they had like more advanced uh, respiratory tract in 
and then you kind of see that because I think what the the carbon dioxide was a lot higher at that yeah. point too. So the birds, I think, with their they have like this two sets of lungs. I think that they breathe through that kind of helped in their their circulation. So this really at the time it also uh, kept mammals really small. But I also think that's what uh, drove mammals to actually start um, like mammals, right? So the, you have a placental. They have the placenta. They're on the inside. So I think it was more efficient for them. However, they evolved. It's because it was more efficient to grow our babies inside of us rather than give birth or have the eggs. Yeah. Anyways, so that during the time too, this is kind of where we see the evolution of mammals as well. Yeah. So uh, we had the the mass extinction event at the end of that as well. Yeah, and it like I said earlier, like it similar kinds of things happened in this one we had the yucatan peninsula there's the chicxulub impact and then over in india or i guess it's the it's the deccan traps actually in africa right yeah no but it's india it's india that's right yeah sheesh I can't believe I forgot that. But they were already erupting, but they started erupting a lot more after that. Yeah. Um, just like to kind of put it like Hawaii is an active area today, but this this volcanism that was happening in the Deccan Traps was about 30 times. Good more, Lord. Yeah. Kilometers thick of basalt flows. So that's going to also release gases. And so that was part of what fueled climate change at that point to fortunately assist the death of a lot of these larger reptiles. Yeah. And just, I mean, they had, they couldn't burrow, they couldn't do anything like rights. So they were just screwed. And then also yeah. again, think about the the time too, I guess, well, I guess it's a little bit more spread out at that point, but still we had a lot of, a lot of the, the dinosaurs, right. were in the kind of North America, South America. So yeah, that's crazy. Well, we hope that was kind of a, it was kind of fun, right? It was. I it feel was like, like a little less geology this time, so it was yeah like i said kind of stress-free yeah maybe next time like we'll get into just like more of the specific dinosaurs rather than the evolution of dinosaurs because what was the you had a question right what was the i remember now you called me i forgot too (laughs) you called me on monday saying why dinosaurs why they're not more dinosaurs oh yeah someone did have that question and it was why are there not more dinosaurs in the fossil record hmm well, I mean, I the the first thing that came to mind when you told me that is when when they die. Well, I think a lot of it has to do like where they die, and yeah. like so they have to. Whenever you think of the preservation of fossils, so you got to think of like how fossils are made, and you have to have like rapid burial and in anoxic conditions because you you have what we see is whenever you have microbes, they they'll break it down. So. Uh, you need something that's not going to. Yeah, I guess you just need anoxic conditions for a lot of the a lot of the times for the preservation, right? Yeah, anything like oxidizing will can cause any material to start to break down, and I think the rapid burial thing is really important to note because okay, yeah, you have a dinosaur laying there, but if it doesn't get covered up by sand or a mud flow or something, then yeah, it's gonna be gone. Who yeah, so <laughs> it's just like, I mean, like, why don't you see, like, when you go out into the forest, why don't you see a lot of, like, dead deer, like, carcasses <laughs> remain, right? They get, yeah. they just get, they just get consumed up by the yeah. environment. So a, a lot of that has to do it. And then um, also just there's a lot of space that hasn't been explored. Yeah. I think that's a big one, too, because, like, where do they find that transition fossil? Like, uh, it's called Tiktaalik. It kind of shows um, the the transition of animals from the sea to the land so which is really cool but where that was found was like i think up in ellesmere something like way i mean like it's 
damn near the like North Pole, like where you only have like a couple like weeks of the entire year that you can go out there and actually do stuff. So there's a lot of spaces that just, I mean, think how big Siberia is. Oh yeah. So I mean, like it's, I think that would be one reason too. That reminds me of that meme that it's like, oh, I need to, I need to speak with my ancestors. It just shows that thing like flying. <laughs> <laughs> so uh some yeah. just random geo- geology uh quick hits did you hear about that uh earthquake that happened in massachusetts this week oh wow yeah i think it was like a three point something and like it triggered tsunami warnings tsunami warming <laughs> warnings in the uh on in the atlantic oh my gosh what was it um was it i'm guessing it was an induced seismicity thing no no i'm not sure i think okay. it was just like offshore maybe remnant oh, yeah. uh faults okay. i mean because yeah. like even though they may not be active they could still like slip though right yeah i mean then they might be active <laughs> i don't know what well, well, I mean, they may be like reactivated. Is that like a? But I mean, if you have this, but but I'm just saying. But if you just have like this uh, ancient faults that kind of have stress on them, they could just they yeah. could just like slip, right? I'm not or like I don't know, maybe offshore, like because I think maybe an offshore, like you could have just the like a listric fault kind of yeah. just slide down if it's off on the that shelf. Sounds like like something it could be. And if thing if like we could just all the faults around here would slip, that'd be nuts. Yeah. So I mean, like, because there's but you have that fault, like uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What I was trying to think of something else. Oh, like my kid, like both my kids, but especially my five-year-old, he's been super interested in tsunamis and tornadoes and earthquakes <laughs> and volcanoes lately. So he's like, he's like, umami, mommy, me, I'm like, what are you saying? He's like, no, this is umami. I'm like, oh, tsunami. He's like, yeah, that's wow. what I've been saying, dad. Did he like watch day after tomorrow or something? No, I I don't know what it was, but like uh so today we watched that what is it called the one with the the 2004 Sumatra um tsunami where they that that British family was on vacation um, and they got they got swept away by that thing and I forget what it's called but we watched that today and they were like crying. Oh no. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, hopefully this is going to spur a lot more episodes and ideas. But while we do that, we are going to... that kind of just it's just like go go it ends but all right so that freaking rocks man yeah i like that i i do like that intro i do too like um, i well i'm gonna have to do like a mix between that freaking rocks and mineral minutes <laughs> but so um i'm gonna let you take the the driving the the steering yeah. of this one so we were trying to we haven't had any submissions um so once again like if you are in a band you write music or whatever we'd love to feature you so please do that we didn't have any so i i was listening to i think it was npr not too long ago and they had this speaker on there and he mentioned something to me that was just like whoa and he didn't mention it to me he mentioned it to all the listeners but not everybody gets chills when they listen to music and it, i know when you first told me that i was like there's got to be like at least something that they listen to at some point that that's what i would think and they i granted i didn't know 
you know, the extent of the study, population, sample, all that crap. But they found that a considerable amount of people, many of them were male, I believe, that did not experience chills. I want uh, that that blows my mind. It's like they're almost a, like agnostic to music. Like it, it, but it's it's also like I feel like I don't know if it it would be along the same kind of vein. But you, I forget the the term. People when they hear music, like they see shapes. Oh yeah. Are they they it like means something like when you say like colors. Colors. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they see colors in like different things. I don't. Do you think it would be something like that? Uh, I think that it it could be. I. I think that it's maybe they don't associate music as being something of like a focus. So it's more of like, it's just the background. Okay. So they're not like, like you and I, we probably listen to songs and we dissect them and we're like, oh, I, I love what they did there with the bass um, or whatever, you know, we could go on, but they don't do that. It's just background. Yeah, no, but I, I feel like, I feel like even before I, like, I knew what really music was, is like, I, there was kind of like, in a, like, it draws you in, and I feel like it, it's almost like a story of, like, the soul, you can hear someone's, yeah. like, soul, like, speaking to you, I know we talked about this, like, whenever we make music, right, it's like, it's inside of our head, it, it, it come, it, it becomes tangible, it comes something that was, like, part of us inside, and, it expressing it right it has some kind of emotion behind it but i feel like even like i remember i would go to sleep when i was in school i would always turn it to 1011 yeah. on on uh, sunday nights especially like the organ and i would go to sleep to like the organ but then it would you know long story short is like i heard fear Elise by beethoven and like i wanted to <laughs> uh, no matter what i did i wanted to learn how to play that yeah so i bought myself a piano and i learned how to play it all the way through <laughs> like right so but like i but it spoke to me enough to like like it gave me chills and I was like, man, and it was, and I remember that's exactly how I felt uh, hearing Moonlight Sonata, like, yeah, but, but it's, oh, and man. then it's, it, but it's the third movement of that. Like most people are like, they, they know of like the do, do, do. That's like the first movement. But that third movement is, oh my God. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. That's like, um, the four seasons by Vivaldi. Same oh thing. yeah. Like when they change from major to minor, just keeping the melody where it should be, but changing everything else. Those are like, I don't, and, and I get like maybe Baroque and classical music isn't for everybody, but there are certain things that music is mathematical for one thing, that it can be engineered to invoke emotion. And I'm not saying they did that on purpose, but I, I, that just blew my mind. That yeah. Cannot. Some people, maybe it's, they can't get chills. Not that they don't care enough. They just, there's something like maybe a gene got turned off, right? Do you want to you want to <laughs> hear something cool about that? Is do you know where the speaking of genes? Do you know where the hiccup is in the evolutionary where? thing? No, it comes from in us, right? Since we're all we all have a common ancestor, right? So the the hiccup is like the yeah, right? Is that holding? It comes from fish and the gills, but then where it we can see that it 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 became like the spasm type thing is from tadpoles oh right so they're they're uh, amphibians so they can breathe uh, with their lungs but then also with gills but what the the <gasps> kind of thing was a, an elongated thing to where they would stop like the breathing with their mouths and uh, kind of like breathe through switch. their their <laughs> so it's it's that wow it's nuts right Gosh. and then i think uh chill bumps comes from uh, like birds yeah it's it's there's a lot of things l l and here's another fun fact i I don't know why like i have all these like yeah. ready to go <laughs> like why we get uh hernias especially being guys is from sharks what how 
It's because <laughs> their testicles are up inside of them next to like behind their head, right? Our testicles are, uh, <laughs> yes, they, they, oh, they come man. out of our cavity, right? Yeah. And then so we have that weak spot. So that's where we're prone to getting hernias. But from sharks where they have their, their things up there and I don't know, I don't know. Uh, um, so I've never had a hernia. <laughs> I don't know how bad it is, but I do know that if you think you have a hernia, you should go to the doctor immediately. Oh, I'm trying to find this book. <laughs> So I have this book. It's called uh, Your Inner Fish by uh, Neil Shubin. But it's really cool. It, it goes through our uh, evolutionary history, um, starting back from Tiktaalik. And if you've noticed any animal, it uh, doesn't matter what kind of animal it is, arms and legs. So if you think of a limb, it's always going to go one bone, two bones, a lot of bones, and then some sort of finger uh, assemblage. Most, a lot of people, I mean, not a lot of people, a lot of organisms and species, they have five fingers. So like bats, mammals, but I know somewhere along the line, <coughs> dogs have, uh, what, five in the front, and then they have four in the back, and the same with cats. But all of them have one bone, two bones, which would be, if it's arm, it's like, what is this, the humerus, then the ulna and radia, you have your wrist, and then you have your phalanges, you have your femur, tibia, fibia, ankle, and then you have your your feet, but all animals have the same kind of configuration, so it's all about this gene splitting, I'm trying to get to the point where, uh, but this is what goes back to the birds, yeah. like, so we can go back and, like, kind of, like, split this up, um, where is the, the shark one? Oh yeah, so this is why we have hernias, because look where that is, I'll try to send a picture of that out where their testes are. Yeah. But so like with us, it kind of, but it's kind of cool reading through all of that and kind of like how the evolution of like even just humans have, has changed. Yeah. And where it all ties back. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's really cool, but it's where it says the hiccups too. Yeah. Obesity. We're not meant to be sitting down. So that's kind of cool. Well, that was episode 10. Brian, I'm glad we did it. Uh, let's cheers one more time to, yeah. if you listen, if you've listened to us from the beginning, we appreciate it. Uh, if you're new, we appreciate it. Someone posted, like we got to see that someone listened to us that we had no idea who yeah, was. So awesome. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. I like hearing, we like hearing stories like that. And uh, we hope to make at least 10 more. Yeah. Like I hope to make a hundred more because this definitely is definitely send us ideas. Like if you have questions, um, we can center an episode around it. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, it's always that way. So until next time, this has been Geology on the Rocks. I'm your host, James the Geologist. And I'm Brian Baggins. And tune uh, in keep and it keep it on the rock. Yeah. We'll do wanking.